Take your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. So I want to build on what I shared this morning. We're going to talk about threshold breaking faith part two. And I'll rehearse some of the things I said this morning to help reinforce them as I build upon it. But let me launch into this by telling a story. Some years ago, my wife Judy and I and some friends went down to Mexico to do a series of meetings. We flew into Guadalajara, spent a day there, and then the next day our host missionary came to pick us up. So we got into his utility vehicle and we started driving down to the city that we were going to. And he would go by a city and say, there's a town of 10,000 people, no gospel work. Town of 25,000 people, no gospel work. Town of 50,000 people, no gospel work. We finally got to the little city that we were to minister in called Ciudad Guzman. And the city had none of the luxuries that we take so for granted. I mean, didn't have hot and cold running water. They didn't have electricity in a lot of the places. In fact, the church that we were to minister in was nothing more than three unfinished walls with a canopy that was draped over it that leaked like a sieve when it rained. In fact, one night in a downpour, we ministered to the sick for hours. Their estimation to us, this is not my estimation, their estimation to us was 95% of the people we laid hands on received an instantaneous manifestation from God. It was awesome. So we're having a move of God. And so I'm sitting with this pastor one day, he says, Ron, you need to preach on marital fidelity before you leave. And I'm thinking to myself, marital fidelity? We're having a move of God here. The sick are being healed. God's people are being touched. What do you mean marital fidelity? He said, Ron, the men here don't really feel like they're men unless they have two or three women on the slide, even in the church. So I thought to myself, well, I'm not here to do my thing. I'm here to do his thing. So I said, I'll do it. And so that night before I got out ready to preach, his assistant, who had overheard the conversation, looks at me and he says, man, I don't care how you preach this. I don't care how authoritative you are. I don't care how much Bible you use. The men in this church will not receive that. So on that encouraging note, I went out to minister. <laughs> and so I started saying things like this. Women should be esteemed. Women should be elevated. Women should be lifted up. Come on, ladies. I'm expecting a few amens. Here. And so... <clears throat> As I'm, as I'm saying this, I look out, and right in the front row, there's this guy, and he's shaking his head no, just like this. I thought to myself, you turkey, you're not going to intimidate me. And I leaped off the platform. My interpreter leaped off with me, and I got real intense. And I was telling God, I got a real intense. And he's just going, the whole time. So finally, I just ignored him, went on with the service, and great things happened, including a couple who had been living together, came forward, got married, made it official later in the week. And so after we're all done, we're behind the platform. And one of the members of the American team I was with looking said, did you see that guy openly defy you tonight? I said, I know. It was incredible. I couldn't believe it. So now the missionary is overhearing this. He said, what are you talking about? I said, this guy kept shaking his head vehemently, knowing me the whole time I was preaching. He said, who was he? So I looked around past the platform. I said, was that guy right there? He goes, oh, Ron. He said, he, that's Julio. He has a nervous condition. His head always goes like that. <laughs> I went back to my little bungalow where I was staying. God said to me, things are not always as they seem. Come on, somebody. And I'm here to tell you tonight, things are not necessarily as they seem. It may not look like it's working. It may not look like things are coming together. It may not look like the body of Christ is having success. But things are not necessarily as they seem. God is about to bring a breakthrough to the body of Christ in 2019. All right, so now I want to show you some things tonight. I want to build upon this because I want to close the gap between what we say we believe and what we actually see. 
So I want to take a look at some things. How to renew your mind, establish your heart, transform your personal belief system to release itself in newfounded faith in our lives. So this morning, I gave you a definition of faith. If you can put it up on the screen. I gave you a definition of faith, and here it was. The principle that taps into the creative power of God, whereby man can transform conditions, circumstances, and situations in the natural realm. It's a great definition. It's my definition. The problem with that definition is that it shows you the end of faith, not the process of faith. And so there's some things I want to deal with tonight because, and I think we have some more PowerPoints. If you'll go to the next one, faith is a quality that allows a person to tap into the unseen resources of God. Do you understand? God has resources at your disposal that he has given you by grace through faith. We have to stop saying, we have to stop saying all the things that what God wants to say to us is that we have to receive what he did by grace through faith. So unmerited, he has given us some things by grace that we can access through faith. All right, so now <clears throat> let me give you another little thing here. The problem is, I mentioned this this morning, I may or may not have mentioned this this morning, that we are a new covenant believers living in the old covenant. So in the old covenant, you beseech God to, move some, to do something in the future. But in the new covenant, we don't do that because the work is already finished. We simply reinforce what God has done. I want to show you something just kind of off the cuff. Turn with me to Romans 1 and verse 16. Romans 1 and verse 16. Just before we get into Hebrews 11. And here, look at what this passage says. This is an interesting passage. I don't want to go into tremendous depth on this. But in Romans 1.16, it says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, how many know what the gospel means? Good news. But here's what one Greek scholar says. It's the nearly too good to be true news. It's so good, we can't hardly believe how, how good it is. So he says, <clears throat> says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, have you read anywhere where Paul looks like he's ashamed of the gospel? There's no place that Paul seems to be. Why would he say that? The reason Paul said that was there was a group of people called Judaizers that were going behind him, and they were trying to pull people back into the old covenant. So Paul said, hey, look, I want to tell you something. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. He says, because it's the power of God for salvation. Now watch this. For everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. He says, for the gospel is a righteousness from God that is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, to faith, and it is written, the, the righteous shall live by faith. Now I want to show you something. Do we have a PowerPoint on salvation? We have, if it is, I want to put it up there. So there's the Greek word for salvation. It's the Greek term sozo. And here's what it means. It means to save, to heal, to deliver, to protect, to do well or to prosper or to make whole. In other words, when you got born again, you didn't just get a ticket to go to heaven. You got, this is what you got. The ability to be saved, to be healed, to be delivered, to be protected, to do well or prosper or to make whole. In other words, God gave you a package deal here that's so, that's so important. Now, let me show you something about this. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. I was thinking about this <clears throat> verse all the time we were in worship today, or tonight. Watch this. Romans 8, verse 31. Listen to this verse. Listen to this. It says, what then shall we say in response to all this? If God be for us, who can be against us? Look at me. If God be for us, who can be against us? How many of you realize God is for you? Yes. Now watch this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how much will he along with him also give us all things? I mean, this is the Christian meal deal right here. So when you pull into McDonald's, 
when you order a Big Mac meal deal, how many of you not only get the Big Mac, but you get the Coke and fries to go with it? When you receive Jesus Christ, you didn't just get Jesus Christ. You got everything that's in the kingdom to come along with it. Right at your disposal. Now, I want to show you something here. Because <clears throat> this becomes so important. So before I tell you what faith is, let me tell you what faith is not. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. Faith is not intellectual agreement of facts. So I want you to hear this because so many people in the body of Christ, what happens is they come in and you say something and they nod their head in agreement. But it's up here and it's not down in their heart. So it's not intellectual agreement with facts. Faith is a heart thing. <clears throat> you manifest what you believe in your heart. Not maybe, not probably, not possibly. So <clears throat> it's very important for you to get. So here's the key. I want you to understand this. Faith doesn't believe God will. Faith believes God has. So let's look at Hebrews 11. 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Again, a pretty familiar passage of Scripture. Let me begin contextually in verse 38 of chapter 10. Watch this. But my, but my righteous one will live by faith. How many of you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Let me see your hands. That should be everybody in this place. You are the righteous one. You are in right standing with the Father, not based on what you've done, but based on what he's done, and you receive it by faith. Therefore, you can stand before him without guilt, fear, inferiority, or condemnation in your life. So you can come boldly before the throne of grace that you may receive grace, mercy and grace to help in time of need. So he says, and, and, he, and, he, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. In recent years, I want you to hear this. The body of Christ has been shrinking back. But it's time for us, in our own way, to come out of the closet. Come on, somebody. And for us to be who God created us to be. Can I get an amen in this house? Now watch. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. In the full meaning of the term. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, I want to show you some things. I want to give you six keys to the definition of faith so that we can understand this. Can I just go ahead and just... Take a little bit of time to rehearse what we talked about this morning before I use it as a launching pad off to something else. So he says, now faith is. Now faith is. So what's faith? The Greek word pistuo. So pistuo means trust or trustworthy. So it's the abandonment to the trustworthiness of God. Listen, nothing that you need out of the kingdom can be produced by human effort. There's not a man that can heal you. There's not a man that can touch you. There's not a man that can deliver you. I want to tell you here right now, it's something that comes out of God and that's the trustworthiness of God. So it means to trust in the character and the motive of God. So, again, what's his character? God cannot lie. Numbers 23, 19, God's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Titus 1, 2, God does not lie. Hebrews 6, verse 18, it is impossible for God to lie. If God said it, that settles it. Come on, give me an amen. amen. And what's this motive? This is why I love what Joshua was leading us in tonight. Because his motive is love. Hebrews 4, 16, God is love. God can't do anything other than love you. He doesn't just love you. He is love. He can't do anything other than love you. So that love means 
that his, your beneficence is at stake here. He wants to do whatever is in the desires of your heart that are in keeping with his word. Now, let me give you an example of this. I'm in Naples, Florida. And it's a church I go to every single year. And I was in Naples, Florida, and I was preaching. It's a great, great church there. And I gave an altar call on a Sunday morning, and again, the altar jammed. They were all across the altar. They were up the aisles. And as I was <clears throat> getting ready to just survey the crowd, and again, on Sunday mornings, there's only so much you can do because of time constraints. But I looked out, and I saw a, a very handsome Hispanic couple standing on the outskirts of the front of, uh, in the back of the altar area. And I said, I don't know why, but here's what God says to you. There is something happened to you, ma'am. There's a couple there. I said, to you, ma'am, that is keeping you from your destiny and it's physical. But God's love overcomes that in a way that's going to change the course of your life. And all of a sudden, she just begins shedding tears. I prayed for them at a distance. The service is over. We administered generically at the altar. <clears throat> and as I walked out, this couple runs me down uh, in the lobby. And they said, you have no idea what you said. This week we have been to a doctor and they've diagnosed my wife with thyroid cancer. You have no idea what she said. That night we had a, we had a service. Uh, the, the auditorium's packed and they were back. When I gave the altar call, they were the first up at the altar. I laid my hands on her. The power got hit her. She fell out in the spirit. Now again, oftentimes when you minister to people, you don't know the extent of what happened or didn't happen until time later. So I get back, and here's Julia, Julia and J.C. Mancera. J.C. writes me an email and says, Ron, you're not going to believe what transpired. When we went back home, <clears throat> we decided to make a, another appointment with the doctor. And he said exactly similar to what I told you a story this morning. When the doctor saw what took place, when he ran the test a second time, he said, there's something wrong with the test. We have to run it again. Come on, somebody. And so when they ran it again, no cancer in the thyroid. Healed by the stripes of Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't care what the prognosis is. It cannot stand up to the faith of a believer. So it's important to understand this. There may be a fact that says you have cancer, but there's a truth that says you're healed by the stripes of Jesus. So, so faith is belief in the heart. All right, so what does that mean? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. There's a lot to this passage. I'm not going to unfold it all. But I want you to see something here. Verse 28. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Anybody get weary out of, out of 2018? Anybody get heavy laden in 2018? Watch. He says, all of you. He says, come to me, all you that are, that are weary and heavy laden. He said, I'll give you rest. Now, listen to me carefully. That concept of rest if you go into Hebrews chapter 3, is grace. He said, I will give you grace. I will give you unmerited favor. I will give you empowerment. And he says, take my yoke upon you. How many of you know we are not to do this thing by ourselves? We are not to do life by ourselves. We need to get yoked up with Jesus. Now, we don't understand that, but everybody that was in this culture understood that you could see oxen yoked together. A large oxen would be yoked to a small oxen, and wherever the large oxen went, the small oxen followed. It's the same way. We need to be yoked with Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, we just follow after him, and we stay yoked to him. We don't do this on our own. Now watch this. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Humble of heart. Humble of what? 
All right, now listen to me carefully. What does the word humble mean? Oh, brother, I'm just so humble. I'm, I'm so humble that I just laid down and I let people walk all over me. I'm just humble. Hum- Come on, that's not humility. Humble means to submit to the view and opinion of. That's what that word means. I submit to the view and opinion of God. So if God said it, I receive it. That's what it is. Now watch. He says, he says <clears throat> take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest, again, grace for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This life is not hard. It was made to be easy, but it all comes. So how do I know if something's in my heart? Let me give you a two-fold criteria. If you're a note-taker, write this down. Now watch this. How do I know if something's in my heart? Number one, it changes how I see myself. It changes how I see myself. And number two, <clears throat> it changes, and the, the change in that area becomes easy. Now watch. You're struggling to get through. You're struggling to break out. You're struggling, struggling. It becomes easy once it's in your heart. Let me give you an example. Paul Doherty, our pastor back in Victory Church in Tulsa, he said, Ron, he said, would you be willing to speak to our college-age students? I said, of course. So I went in, college-age students, about 600 college-age students showed up on a Tuesday night. And I ministered. I talked about renewing the mind and establishing the heart and transforming your personal belief system. And <clears throat> I prayed for lots of people that night. And one of the people I prayed for was a young man by the name of Omar. Omar came, he was a student at Old Roberts University. He didn't attend that service because <clears throat> he, was, he was going to another church on Wednesday nights. But he had a class on Wednesday nights, so he decided to come Tuesday instead. And so after the service was over, he said, man, I've been so blessed by your message. He said, I'm just so encouraged. He said, but I, 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 I just got to tell you that I'm here because, he said, I'm in stage four of, of cancer. Here's a young college student, stage four cancer. And so he's, he said, I, I just need you to pray for me. So I prayed for him. He felt some relief. But how many of you, sometimes there's a difference between a miracle and a healing? Therapy is a deposit that goes over a period of time. And so I said, Omar, I said, listen, I have a biblical meditation tape on healing. I want to sew it into your life. You come by my office, and it's, I said, I will give you the tape. That's the last time I saw Omar until about three months later. Three months later, I got an email from Omar, and here's what it said. He said, I, I began to, to take a look, and I was listening to this biblical meditation tape on, on healing, and he said, I was... Listen to it over and over again. I listened to it morning, noon, and night. Morning, noon, and night. He said it was hard for me at first because I was so nervous about my condition. But the more I listen, you'll find the tape really just brings you into a peace relationship with God. He said, I just found myself peace. He said, after about three months, he said, I saw myself differently. And he said, I got to tell you, I went back to the doctor. They can find no cancer in my body whatsoever. No cancer. It's time for us to break the limitations off our life and move into the limitlessness of God's. All right, now, I want to show you something more with this because this is so important. So he says, faith is, and then he says, the substance. Now, this Greek word substance means hypostasis. And here's what this means. You can put it on the screen. So substance means this, tangible, reality, foundation, substructure, title deed, substantiates, inventory. That's what this word means. So substance means it's tangible. And listen, it's real. It's tangible. 
So faith is not some ethereal thing that we can't hardly get in touch with, but it's something that's real. It's, it's a foundation. It's a substructure. I'm going to show you what's the substructure of just a moment. It's a title deed. What that means is this. It's a title deed. If I, if I have land in Tulsa and I give you the title deed as a gift, you may not see the land in Tulsa, but it belongs to you. There's some things that Jesus Christ has done that you've not seen yet that are in heaven, that they're there by grace for you to activate by faith. Come on, somebody. They're there. So it's inventory. Where's your inventory? It's right here. 7,700 promises of the word of God. Here's your inventory right here. So it's important for you to understand the scope of the inventory that God has for your life. It's a substructure. Now, let me show you something. I saw something the other week that I had never seen before. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Keep your finger there, right there in Hebrews 11. Go, go into Hebrews 1 and verse 3. Now, this word hypostasis or substance is used in this verse. See if you can figure out where it is. The sun, watch this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. Now, where hypostasis is, it's right there that substance is in being. In other words, Jesus is the substance of faith. Listen to me carefully. This is the power of we. I want you to hear this. This is the power of we. Most people I know try to get God to partner with them instead of partnering with him. Now watch, there's a tremendous difference here. We have an agenda that we want him to partner with us about. But when we partner with him, we get on his agenda, and there's a, a tremendous difference. So watch. This power of we is what releases the results of faith. Now get this. This is so important. Now, let me give you an example. In our church... There used to be a day of healing that was national. I don't know if you guys, Mitch, did that or anything, but there was a national day of healing. So in our church, what would happen is, at that time, Pastor Billy Joe Doherty would ask those of us that were a part of the thing to, to take about an hour, and we would do that throughout the day. And so I was taking my hour, and I, was, I came into the hour. People were filling into the room where I was. And then they, I saw them carry a woman into the room. She had the worst case of fibromyalgia I've ever seen. So if you know anything about fibromyalgia, a nerve disease, it is extraordinarily painful. It was so painful she had not been out of bed in a year. She could hardly put clothes on because of the pain. It's the worst case I've ever heard about. And they brought her in, <clears throat> and they said, would you pray for her? I said, of course. So I, I shared a brief word, and I prayed for her. She felt some immediate relief, but she still was in pain. And I said to her, Janine, I want you to come by my office. I have a biblical meditation tape on healing I want to sow into your life. Because you need to get what I talked about from here to here. And meditation is the key to get what's in your head into your heart. I want you to hear me because 
Somehow Christianity has become about showing up to a church service once or twice or three or four times in a month. And you sit there and you listen to a message and depending on how you receive it, you may go to an altar, you may not go to an altar, you nod your head in agreement and go away without cultivating it in a personal way that it becomes intertwined on the inside of you. And this is what God wants to do in 2019. So she came by, like Omar did, she picked up this this biblical meditation CD on healing. She took it with her, and again, I didn't see her. So 90 days later, there's something about that 90-day process. It goes from your head to your heart, 30, 60, 90 days, and this is a process. I don't have time to go into all the details of this. But she took it, and all of a sudden, about three months later, I was getting ready to teach my class at the Bible College. I was standing up, and I looked out, and there was Janine in the front row. And I stopped. I was stunned. I said, Janine, what are you doing here? She said, I listened to that, I want you to hear this, I listened to that biblical meditation take morning, noon, and night for 90 days. At the end of 90 days, I saw myself differently, and she said, I knew that it was impossible for me to maintain this disease, and that I was healed by the stripes of Jesus. She said, I'm here enrolled full-time in Bible college. Come on, somebody. Do you understand what I'm trying to get at? Now watch, I want to show you something. So, Look at this next thing. Faith is the substance of things, of things, of things. So faith is the substructure of what? It's the substructure of things. What things are you talking about? This, word, this Greek word, things, is a Greek word, pragma, which means a thing already done. I don't have to get God to do what he's already done, but I receive what he did by grace through faith. It's done. It's finished. Stop trying to get God to do what he's already done and receive what he did by grace through faith. Can I get an amen in here? All right, now listen. I can give you story after story after story. I can show you Bev Carter, who came. She, again, she picked up these biblical meditation tapes. And what happened was that she heard it. Bev had cancer. She was a friend of ours. She wrote us a letter. She wanted, she wanted help with the expenditures to help her with her cancer. And, and I sent her this biblical meditation tape, and the same thing happened to her. 90 days, morning, noon, and night, she saw herself differently. She was healed by the stripes of Jesus. I'm here to tell you that this is what God wants to take us to. Now watch. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now this, <clears throat> this term, hope, is not what we say in English. I'm kind of wishing and hoping this is going to happen. No, this, this, this word is the Greek word, elpis, which means, which means expectation or anticipation. So what happens is, <clears throat> there is in Scripture what I call a law of expectation. The law of expectation says what you expect in your heart with confidence becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. And what happens when hope is there, there is a corresponding action that goes with it. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If, <clears throat> if you're having company, what do you do? You clean up the house, you get everything ready. Why? There's, there's, a, there's an action that goes with your expectation. What happens if if you're having a baby, what do you do? You, I mean, you, you, you take a look at your nursery. You try to get it all ready. You try to get all the things ready. Why? There's a corresponding action that goes with it. Now, I want to show you something. What about money? All of a sudden, I'm expecting some money to come my way. What do you start doing? You start looking at catalogs, looking at what you can buy. Come on, girlfriend. Now, you don't just need to do that. Maybe what you can sow into the house of God. Come on, somebody. There's a corresponding action. Let me show you something. 
Turn with me to James. You guys get anything out of this? Look at James. I'll be done here just momentarily. James. This is, to me, a foundational passage of Scripture. James chapter 1 and verse 22. Now watch this. It says, Don't merely be hearers of the word, but doers. Because a person who's a hearer and not a doer, it's like a man who looks in the mirror when he walks away, forgets what he looks like. So let me go through that again. I don't want you to be a hearer of the word only, but a doer. Because a person who's a hearer and not a doer is a person who looks into the mirror, but when he walks away, forgets what he looks like. Now, what was one of the first things you did when you got up in the morning? You looked into the mirror, right? Did you like what you saw? (laughs) I don't know why. Something happens at night. When you go to bed, when you get up and you look in the mirror. I mean, you know, a woman goes to bed looking like Melania Trump, but when she gets up in the morning, she looks like the Wicked Witch of the West. Come on, something happens at nighttime. <laughs> Guys, you go to bed, you know, you, start, you look like Brad Pitt, but when you get up, you look like Shrek. Come on, something happens at night. <laughs> but what happens? Watch this. What happens? So when you get up in the morning, what do you do? And listen, for me, it's, it's a frightening process. I mean, my hair goes in every conceivable direction, which little, little bit I have. If I were to go out in public like that, I would scare children and little old ladies. Would run. It'd, be, it'd be horrible. So what do you do is when you get up, you look in the mirror. Watch. You start making adjustments based on what you see. Come on. If it needs painting, come on, paint it. Come on, somebody. You start making adjustments. All right, now. <laughs> so what are we supposed to do? Watch. Here's your mirror. You're supposed to look into the mirror and you start making adjustments based on what is. I want you to hear this. We've let the reflection be the circumstances around us. But what prophetic word did I give you this morning? In 2019, it's going to be far more important, or less, it's going to be less important for what happens around you than what happens within you. Because what happens within you is going to create the kingdom around you. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence. Now, this word evidence is another fascinating word. You can put it up on the screen. It means confidence of being evident, making easy to see, clear, obvious to persuade. Listen to me. You will always believe where there's the most evidence. Whatever evidence you cultivate in life, that is what you're going to believe. Sadly, I read a survey from George Barna. The difference between Christians and non-Christians is almost negligible almost in every arena of life. Why? Because we are subjugated to the circumstances around us as much as the world is. But there's a whole nother realm of evidence. Let me show you something. Go with me to numbers. Numbers. Are you still with me? Numbers, chapter 13. Watch this. Let's begin all the way in verse 1. Watch this. The Lord said to Moses... Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving the Israelites 
from each ancestral tribe. So does the Lord intend to give this land to Israel, yes or no? Okay, now watch. Go over into verse 23. When they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. Now, how many of you know these are bowling ball grapes? How many of these are excessive grapes? They had to carry them on a a pole between two men. It says this in verse 26. And when they came to Moses and Aaron, the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, they reported to them, and the whole assembly showed up, showed them the fruit of the land. (coughs) They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, indicating abundance. But, but, the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. And we saw the descendants of Anak, which is giants. And he says, and then there was the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Uptites, the Adesites. Come on, all the ice were there. (laughs) Mosquito bites. Okay, they're all there. Just kind of threw that one in. (laughs) Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Now watch. So, but, again, I mean, we need to get our big butt out of there. Come on, somebody. (laughs) But the men who had gone up with him, we can't attack them because they are stronger than we are. And they spread an evil report among the people. They said, the land we explore devours those living in it. All the people saw that they were great size and saw, that, saw the people there. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Now watch this. Even though God ordained for something to take place, they were unable to do what God called them to do at that particular moment in time because of the way they saw themselves. So this word is what evidence you begin to look at becomes the dominant factor in your life. So, evidence of what? Last point. Evidence of what? Evidence of the unseen. Evidence of the unseen. Let me ask you a question. Is it easier to believe what you see or what you don't see? You have to practice the unseen. Let me give you an example. I like to give examples because it makes the principle come alive. In 1 Samuel 17, it's the story of David and Goliath. And it says in 1 Samuel 17 that here's this giant, nine foot tall. How many of you know the Golden State Warriors are trying to recruit this guy? And it says the entire army was intimidated. How many of a nine-foot guy stands up? I mean, this is like WWE wrestling. You know, he's coming up going, Goliath, Goliath. Everybody's intimidated. And so along comes this little ruddy-faced boy who has been tending sheep to take McDonald hamburgers to his brothers at the front line. And he walks up and he says, why is everybody intimidated? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Why do you have to go and bring that up? You know what I'm saying? I don't understand why he brought that up. So you want to kill this guy because he hasn't seen his urologist? I mean, why, what is the problem here? <laughs> Circumcision was a sign of covenant. And what he was saying is, wait a second. I have a covenant, and he doesn't. Why should I be intimidated? 
it set him apart from everybody else. And how many of you know, David learned, taught people how to get a head. Come on, somebody. He knocked him out with a stone and then took his head. Now watch this. I want to show you something. So what separate? The way he saw himself. He had rehearsed all the way. He killed a lion. He killed a bear. He, all the way to the point where he came to the next thing he needed to conquer. He didn't see the obstacle. He saw the opportunity because he had a covenant. How do I do this? How do I see the unseen? Go back with me to Hebrews 11 and verse 3. How many, how many to give me five more minutes? Give me five more minutes. Let me see your hands. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. Okay, we've got some time. Now, look. <clears throat> I want to show you this. Hebrews 11, 3. So we're going, now faith is something, hope for the evidence of things not seen. He said, no, look at this, verse 3. By faith we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Listen to this. He didn't say, he didn't say that it was made out of something that didn't exist. He said it was made out of what was not seen. It already existed in the unseen realm. If I got a book over there, I'm kind of doing this spontaneously. Who, I, who did I throw a book out to that's got one here? Let me, let me have one real quick here, guys. I'm not going to take it away. I'll give it back. No, I'll need that one right there. Now watch this. I want to show you something here. I want to show you something. Andy Andrews. Andy Andrews wrote a secular book called The Traveler's Gift. He's a believer. He was a comic in Las Vegas. He's a believer, and he wrote this book. It's a fascinating book. It's a book by the, uh, about a guy by the name of David Ponder. David Ponder is an executive in a Fortune 500 company. And the company's bought out from under them, and his, his job is eliminated. He's in his 50s. He can't get rehired anyplace. And so he doesn't know what to do with his life. And so they begin to lose everything that's precious to them materially, they lose their home, their car, he has to take a job at a hardware store. His wife begins cleaning houses. And now the, the, the climax of the story comes when he, he is at a point where he feels like he's better off dead than alive. At least if he's dead, the family could take the insurance and live on it. So he decides to take his life. And he takes his car and he's ready to drive right into a tree at 100 miles an hour to take his life. And just as before impact, he's translated back in time where he meets nine people who give him the keys to success in life. Now watch this. So he meets all these different people. He meets President Truman. He meets King Solomon. He meets Christopher Columbus. The last person he meets is the Archangel Gabriel. And he takes him through a tour of heaven. Now listen to this. There he sees rooms filled with money. Some with inventions, not experienced yet. Some with cures of diseases. He sees rooms with photographs of children and stacks of food and, and stacks of money. Dazed by what he's seeing, he's confused by its meaning. He looks at the angel and he asks, why am I here? Finally, the angel answers the question by asking another question. In despair, what one man sees, what one man does to take his life, another man is moved to greatness. Reeling in confusion, David responds, I don't know. And the angel responds, circumstances are the rulers of the weak, but they are the weapons of the wise. 
Circumstances do not push or pull. They are daily lessons to be studied and gleaned for new knowledge and wisdom. Struggling to, 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 to understand the panorama before him, he cries out, what is this place? And Gabriel responds, this, my place. Listen to this. This, my friend, is a place that never was. This is a place where we keep all the things that were about to be delivered just as people stop working and praying for them. This is the place that's filled with the dreams and the goals of the less courageous. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Everything inside of me says we're standing at a pivotal time in history. Somehow, the body of Christ has been told to go sit in a corner and keep their mouth shut. And somehow we've done that. It's time for us to come out of the corner and take on the identity of who God made us to be. I'm here to tell you right now. God wants to release threshold breaking faith in your life in this place. I don't know how we got to the point where we show up to church, listen to a message, go home, eat chicken, help our kids with the homework, watch the football game, Go to bed and on Monday we can't remember what it was that was said. How do I get this in my heart? Put those five little things up on the screen about biblical meditation. This is one year's worth of research that I'm going to give you in about two minutes. I want you to hear me. Joshua 1a says, Don't let this book of the law depart out of your mouth, but meditate therein day and night. Be careful to do all that is written therein. I'll make you prosperous and I'll give you good success. How many of you want prosperity? Let me see your hands. How many of you want good success? Let me see your hands. Here's what he says to do. He says, don't let this book of the law depart out of your mouth. Confess continually the word of God in your mouth. Don't let this book of the law depart out of your mouth, but meditate on it. When? Day and night. What's day and night mean? It doesn't mean all time. It means day and night. Start your day and end your day with biblical meditation. It has to go beyond just hearing a message once a week. And he says, when you do that, you meditate there in day and night, be careful to do all that is written there and I'll make you prosperous and I'll give you good success. So what I found out was that you can tell people what to do, but if you don't tell them how to do it, they don't know what to do with it. So I studied this for one year and here's what I found. Biblically, there's five steps to, bi to biblical meditation. There's the still stage. Here's what they found out. So Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I'm God. In the still stage, listen to this, in the still stage, what happens is, it's what psychologists call alpha state. It's when you get into that, that place just before you go to sleep, but you're still awake. You're in a still stage. That's where your subconscious mind, that's where your heart is most influenced. And then <clears throat> imagination stage. So once I get still, I don't only just, I see what it is God wants me to do. I see it. That's what happened to every person I talked to you about being healed. They begin to see themselves differently. And then strategy say, based on what I see, what should I do? 
then take action. Every day do something toward your highest priority. And fifthly, lastly, Thanksgiving stage. Why Thanksgiving stage? Watch this. In Philippians 4, it says that we are to thank him. Thank him. What happens? I don't thank somebody for what they about to do. I thank them for what they've already done. So when I thank him, it puts me in a position to say, he has done it. It is done for my life. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe with everything inside of me, we are in a place of threshold breaking for the body of Christ. How many of you want to see thresholds broken in your life? Let me see your hands. Now listen to me carefully. The body of Christ has regressed in such a way that I don't know how to begin to explain it. We have let faith lapse out, and I don't have time to go through all the details of it, but I'm here to tell you, God wants to reinvest inside of us the supernatural presence of God.